You are listening to Down Home. I'm not sure you caught this from our last episode when Jay and I talked to my mom about CRT. Awesome. And uh, we'll, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be party time. I can't wait. Yeah. So, yeah, me and Jay are in Halifax. While we're there, we thought we'd give you a couple of clips from our weekly development meetings. In this first clip, we're discussing the 2020 Rebecca Gao article on systemic racism. And in the second clip, which starts around the nine minute mark, we are talking about the horrible mass shooting that happened in Buffalo a few weeks ago. I'm Derek Wise, and on behalf of Jay Jones, welcome to Down Home. Systemic racism, also known as institutional racism, refers to the ways that white supremacy, that is the belief that white people are superior to people other of other races, is reflected and upheld in the systems in our society. Our education system, our healthcare systems, our judicial systems, which is a big one, um, our criminal justice system, and our policing systems, which is the big, the other big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the very institutions that make up the way we live, how we've structured society, how we come to make decisions, how we decide what's fair or just. Uh, these systems are built with an already ingrained bias, a racist lens embedded with a discriminatory lens that doesn't provide or allow for equal or fair opportunities for racialized peoples to succeed within. Much of our society today continues to reinforce this power dynamic. Um, so it goes on, for, for example, Canada's federal policing system, the RCMP, RCMP was created in order to control the indigenous population. The very system through which the state criminalizes individuals has been racist from its inception. I went uh, for a job interview at a, um, a uh, financial advisor firm and I have a very white sounding name, right? Yeah. Derek yeah. Wise is a very white sounding name. Yeah. And this is way before social media. I think it was like 2001. So it's before Facebook. You, so you, nobody could look me up and look at an image of what, what I look like. Yeah. So, and the other thing is my my education and credentials, my background looks great at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, uh, I go to this, uh, this interview and uh, I'm let in by the, the um, secretary. So I'm in the, sitting in this room, I got my suit on and stuff. I'm you know, well coiffed or whatever. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and then she closes the door behind her. So I'm sitting there, I got my resume in hand, I'm ready. I've, I've prepped myself and this Indian gentleman comes in and he opens the door and he's, and he's, he's got like this uh, pause to look on his face. As soon as he sees me, his face just like, yeah, kind of, yeah. like uh, kind of like a look of what the hell kind of thing. Right. Wow. But yeah. then he caught himself and he went, ah, he went, Mr. Wise. And I said, yes. And then 
I, I said to him before he st I started asking questions, I said, are you okay? You look like uh, something hit you there, like you, like you ran into something that you didn't expect. He goes, no, 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 it's all right. But then he, 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 um, it was one of the most unfair interviews I've ever had in my life. My goodness, man. I always wanted people to like me. So I did whatever I could. Like I, I didn't, I never really rocked the boat too much. I was yeah. like, I was reading, I was this interview um, with uh, Chris Rock. He was saying that he got invited to all kinds of parties because he was the type of black person that didn't rock the boat. Like, Everyone could be like, oh, here's that guy. He's a good guy. He's funny. He's this and that. And yeah. they never really looked at him as a threat. And I don't know if it's our upbringing, but I was always taught to be so uh, polite and just sort of well-spoken. And I think that shocked a lot, of, a lot of white people. Like, I had a friend down a couple doors. His father was a blatant racist growing up. Mm. until I became friends with his, his son. And, and years later, we would have these great conversations. Like, I saw him change the way he viewed me. I mean, I don't know if it existed for anyone else, but I saw him view me differently and respect me just based on the way that I was. And I think that's the way I always tried to, 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 to do it, right? And it seemed to work for me. So I never, I never really started thinking about, you know, our family's legacies or the racism. I mean, of course, when I was younger, I, I dealt with it a lot, but I was still young and didn't quite understand what was going on. And, uh, and then built a personality out of that sort of deflect it. This has been going on for centuries, man. For centuries. Even, it's not, not even necessarily white people in these institutions. It's, it's, um, it's, it's people that are in power in these institutions. It's really sad that it's such an ingrained thing that people of color, uh, you know, and even really like black people are so feared, like, yeah. you know, in a sense, like they want to have power, power over us because they fear us. Yeah. And uh, it really baffles me to you know and even in today's day and age it baffles me how much like you know just what we're talking about this these pieces that were in place and you know i don't know if it's ever ever going to change that's the other reality that i find crazy is is it ever going to change no matter how much money you make no matter what you do no matter who you are no matter how much power you have because black people do have power in certain situations some are self-made, but at the same time, I bet you Jay-Z is still going, oh, there's that hustling, you know, there's that hustler from wherever he made it to. Yeah. You know, he, he has affluence now because he can add to, you know, the greater good yeah. with, with money and power and can bring light to some things. But at the end of the day, man, you know, you're, you're still, like I was called, you're still a Reagan. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I've never heard that before. But yeah, yeah, well, you know. Yeah. The um yeah, that concept of uh it's an American concept. They they used to you know, when Obama was elected, they used to talk about how they've entered a quote unquote post racial society. Meaning that um, you know, race isn't a thing anymore. But You've seen that that's not the case, right? It's not definitely case. not. 
In this next clip, we talk about the tragic mass shooting in Buffalo. So this tragedy happened on May 14th. Um, let me just read an excerpt, man. Yeah, man. Um, this is from the New York Times uh, article on the same day. Uh, temp headline is 10 people are killed and three are wounded in a mass shooting at a Buffalo grocery store. A teenage gunman entered entranced by white supremacist ideology known as replacement theory opened fire at a supermarket in Buffalo on Saturday, methodically shooting and killing 10 people, injuring three more, almost all of them are black in one of the deadliest racist massacres in recent American history. Uh, says here, the authorities identified identify the gunman. I'm not going to say his name because uh, that's what he wants. Mm -hmm. um, he drove more than 200 miles to mount his attack, which he also live streamed and police said a chilling video feed that appeared designed to promote his sinister agenda. Yeah, I think it was, he planned it. There was, I guess there was a manifesto that they had a 180 page manifesto. And apparently he visited the area back in March as well to, I don't know, to scope it out or scout it out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that you know that when this this um, narrative that's starting to emerge from certain uh, media types down the states mm -hmm. of him being crazy, yeah, um, these are not the actions of a crazy man. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> a no. crazy person. It's too methodical. It's well planned out. He obviously knew what he was doing from 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 jump, and that yeah, the narrative always comes with he was lonely, he was nerdy. You know, I'm lonely. I'm nerdy. I'm not gonna go kill a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have swear, but you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's and but with I will say with white people, they often play the more so the the mental health card. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, and yeah. make it seem like oh, you know, he was he was so out of his mind that he did this, but uh, that's not the case, man. It's it to me. It's a it's the effects of Trump, obviously, mm. and not only Trump, but just the fact that white supremacy is number one in America. Yeah, that's just this. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this replacement theory. Um, let me just break that down a little bit. Um, I'm looking at a Vox article here that was published um, yesterday, May. May 17th, uh, 2022. Um, name, it's the name of the article is Where Replacement Theory Comes From and Why It Refuses to Go Away. Um, I'm not going to read the whole article. Uh, so a brief history of the flawed and racist replacement conspiracy theory. In the United States, white people fear about being replaced by quote-unquote outsiders and migrants of in quote unquote inferior backgrounds has a long history. These fears were especially apparent in the early 1900s when white intellectuals openly explored and shared ideas about displacement that shaped immigration policies and other laws. And it's got a long history. It's got a long history. And it seems as though, like you, you mentioned Trump, uh, this, theory it, it was always marked as being a fringe theory but it was given credence and and brought into the mainstream mainstream by 
certain phrases and ideologies that the former President Trump actually brought to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now they have this guy, uh, what's his name, Tucker Carlson, who's you know, almost like, you know, some sort of parrot on on Trump's shoulder, and he's spewing this on the daily. Um, and they're making millions of dollars from his broadcasts, so they don't really do anything to to sort of flag it or anything like that. And it's basically treating, it's undermining everything that you know people may try to change. It's still that that uh, proverbial thing in, in everyone's back. It's that Trump effect, and you know he still has his followers. I mean, you know. 70 million people voted for him. I'm not only blaming this on Trump. I'm just saying the the hysteria that he has made and and now it's coming back even though he's out of office. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you once you open up that can of worms though, mm-hmm. um you're you're not able to uh uh put that back. Yeah. And exactly. and that's that's essentially what's going on like he did open the door for a lot of this stuff but it's out of his control now yeah of course you know and then once you and and it's uh because the 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 united states is the center of a lot of um media and cultural history this is something that went around the world like the 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 extremist from norway that went on in christchurch in new zealand Mm -hmm. back in 2019 he actually had a manifesto and he quoted Trump and whatnot as well. Mm-hmm. That, that was a very deadly shooting. Like he uh, killed 50 uh, Muslim worshipers. Wow. Man. Right. And, and a lot of his ideology and, and stuff that he was spewing is stuff that we heard from Trump and his administration and other right-wing sources in the States. So it's, it's a, it's a can of worms that has, was opened. Yeah. Um, that's been along for around for a long time, but it was always on the fringe, mm-hmm. right? But like you said, given mainstream credence to by people like Trump and and Tucker Carlson, though, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, and and then it just sort of uh, triggers the whole situation that America is in. And it also, man, you got to look at the gun laws too, man. Their gun laws are just ridiculous. You know, there's a right to bear arms, but you know, bearing arms usually comes to harm for a lot of people because anyone can get it. You know, you don't know anyone's mental health state. You don't know what plans they have. You say it's for protection, but it can also be used to commit these crimes and anyone can get them. And, you know, there, I guess there's, there's estimated 400 million guns in the U S right now. And uh, there's only 11.3 uh, million guns manufactured in 2020 but there's all these sort of private manufacturers that make these guns and they're called ghost guns and then they're out there in the market and then of course you know america has the mentality of always bearing arms but but it's also the money that comes with it with these things right but that all these things lend to these other things you know mm, yeah and uh it's, it's a valid. Like a, it's a valid point um, because this this particular eighteen year old uh, young man that has done the Buffalo uh, shooting, he was actually taken in by uh, law enforcement officials a year ago and given a mental evaluation because there were worries about some of the threats that he was levying on his school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now, why wouldn't when he le- went and legally purchased these firearms that he used less than a week ago, 
why wasn't he flagged somehow? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's 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 the question, right? Yeah. Um, the, the other aspect of this is, you know, we're we're coming from a Canadian perspective. Mm-hmm. We're we're in Toronto, and Buffalo, New York, is is uh, very close to yeah. us. It's a two-hour drive over the yeah. border. But not only that, but the two communities share a lot. There are a lot of Americans that have uh, black Americans that have moved to Toronto and vice versa. There are a few black Canadians that might have close family ties in Buffalo. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is very close to home for, for our, uh, our community. Huh? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think it, it always rings true. Um, you know, it obviously happens here in Canada here. It just doesn't get the media attention that something like this gets in the States. And the States usually has these crazy mass shootings, you know what I mean? Where <laughs> it's just crazy. And, and then the, the other thing is there's all these, there's all these websites that he got inspired by that he was following that were sort of preaching the semantics already and uh, you know, replacement theory. And he was inspired well, the the big thing, like uh, here in Canada, through our our um, our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, we actually hate speech is actually illegal on a federal level. Mm-hmm. So it's very different in the states. Uh, yeah. So uh, this type of speech and this type of um, these types of writings are actually protected under their constitution. Oh, well, freedom of speech, I guess, right? Yeah, we're here in Canada. This is where this is where a lot of the trucker BS, they talk about Canada not having the same types of freedoms as they do in the States. They're yeah. talking about, uh, excuse my French, but crap like that. But, you know, in saying that, though, um, a lot of the cultural mores that are down the States bleed up here. So, you know, the even though we're not... A, it, hate speech is illegal. There's ways, ways, ways around that um, by, by, by cloaking the speech in other language. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And which, which they do here in Canada. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other aspect that I wanted to talk about with this was the, um, the police response. Now the police response, these, you know, these guys were heroic. They went in there. They, their response was quick. Mm-hmm. I think they, from the time that they were called, they were on site within two minutes yeah. And they confronted the gunman and he was arrested. Yeah. My issue with the police response is that it's not consistent with the way other people are, are dealt with in the same manner in less threatening. Like in what I'm talking about is, is, is black know, people. Yeah. And you might as well speak the real because yeah. uh, if that was a black man, he would be dead. You know. Oh, he would have pulled up. They would have seen the assault rifle and they would have <laughs> yeah. fired upon him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But in even saying that, though, there, there are in situations where there are unarmed people that have been dealt with way harshly, you know, um, yeah. most notably be saying George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, Breonna Taylor. Like uh, you can we can name them off. Yeah. Yeah. There's a unfortunately we can name yeah. them off. We can name them off. Yeah. In Canada the same principle holds. It's just that we don't hear about these names. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a minute and read some names, man. Yeah. Well, no. I'm going to read some names, man. Like um, these are, these are uh, black brothers that have been killed by police unarmed, unarmed yeah. in situations where they, 
you know, either some type of police interaction where, where police were called for whatever reason mm-hmm. and something ensued and they were either shot or, um, you know, killed in some manner. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Gibbs, Orlando Brown, Bonnie Jean-Pierre, uh, Rene Gallant, Clive Mensa. I've mentioned Clive Mensa several times several on this, times. uh, on this, uh, pod on this um podcast yeah you know clive mensa uh a brother that was in his backyard mm-hmm. a noise p- complaint was called and within police getting there within two minutes he was dead yeah you know if if the police showed the same res- restraint that they showed for this young man down in buffalo getting there within two minutes if they showed the restraint that they showed for uh, if clive got the same restraint that they showed for this this he would be alive today yeah. Yeah. And the in Clyde in Clyde was unarmed. Yeah. <laughs> what else can you say about that, yeah. man? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, and you know, same thing with George Floyd, you know? Yeah. You handle the situation different to an unarmed person. That's the thing. Mm. An unarmed person, you know, uh how how do they die? <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, this it's instead of de you know, the police got on site and they did what they're supposed to do. They de-escalated the situation, situation. down in the States there. Um, and there are thousands, hunt, probably thousands, tens of thousands of police interactions in this country every day. And every day, these gentlemen do great jobs of de-escalating situations. Yes, indeed. Yep. It's just that every once in a while, when it happens, like... Um, when a when a brother when when it happens to a black person, a lot of these situations are not de-escalated. Mm-hmm. You know, latch latch or, latch or tool. That situation was not de-escalated, man. That's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, what you know? What's the solution to this? We just want the same level of policing as everyone else. You know, our community deserves to have the same response. The same effort to 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 de-escalate yeah you know yeah and just to bring and you know it would just make things so much easier like you know black people would be you know not as on edge like you know what i mean like there's so much trauma attached to it every time something like this happened regardless of where it happens and how it happens and then you start to look at the color of your skin and you see the difference between like you say de-escalation and and escalation to death so you know it's it you know i it's just disheartening and uh, you know it just looks to me it just the other thing is it's just like this this scar this scar that's always there that always gets opened up um you know hundreds of years um it continues uh you know people of color are treated you know, less than, and, you know, um, if we did any of these things that sort of happens, you know, what if Obama was up there trying to, you know, spit some certain rhetoric or something like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I don't know. Well, it's, it's unfortunate. It's not seen by certain people as rhetoric though. Yeah. Right. The the reason why um, all this stuff is going on is because there's an audience for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Breaking new crap, breaking new crap. 
You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. From the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, McX. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep. No time to sleep as you reach your next phase, laying it all on the line. New trail start to blaze, it's a fire inside. A brand new path, breaking down the sum to one, feeling free. I just laugh with the joy of a beat boy, just kicking it live. A connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like the song. Breaking new ground from the breakdown. Time to shine so fine to see what you find. Revolution starts with the